Well, if you'd like to uh, turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the letter of Philemon. You'll find that uh, just before the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. Over the next three weeks, we'll be uh, looking at this, uh, this little letter. In fact, it's one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. It contains, in the original language uh, that it was written in, the, uh, the Greek language, it contains only 335 words. It's a bit of trivia for you this morning. But although it's uh, a small letter, it's a letter that comes with incredibly powerful punch. And uh, this letter gets down really to the nitty-gritty of what uh, gospel living really is all about and uh, focuses on those really messy implications of, uh, and, and outworkings of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. So if you've got your, uh, your Bibles there, I'm actually going to read the, uh, the whole of uh, the, uh, the letter this morning, verses 1 through to 25, but we're only going to be focusing this morning on verses 1 through to 7. So the Apostle Paul, writing this letter, writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order, that, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. <laughs> 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning afresh for your word. We thank you that it is a word that is a powerful word. It is a word which is able to pierce even to the very depths of our being. It is a word that is a life-giving word, a life-bringing word. It is a word that is light, that brings illumination, that brings comfort. But most importantly, it is the, the word of God. May we receive it as such this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. This letter we're looking at this morning is only one of four New Testament letters that are written to an individual. Uh, the others being 1 and 2 Timothy and 3 John. And it's written to this man who is identified in verse 1 as Philemon. Now, uh, Philemon, it appears, was a resident of uh, Colossae in, uh, in uh, modern-day Turkey and was reasonably a wealthy man in his city in, of his day. He had a house large enough for the church to meet in and he also owned at least one slave we know of, this, this person called Onesimus who was also one of the central characters of this letter. Philemon had at some earlier point met the Apostle Paul and been converted through his ministry. We see that in verse 19 where Paul says, I Paul, write this with my own hand. He says, to say nothing of you, you're owing me even your own self. Paul is speaking there about the fact that Philemon had come to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul's spreading of the gospel. Although the letter was a personal one to Philemon, though, we also see that it was intended to be read by, or at least read to, the rest of the church who met in Philemon's house. It's addressed to Philemon, but it's also addressed to, uh, our, it says, our fellow, uh, uh, to our fellow worker Philemon, also Aphia, our sister. We believe that's probably Philemon's wife. And also Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, Archippus may have been their son or he may have been one of the, uh, the significant uh, leaders in that little house church that met there in Philemon's house. And, of course, it says, and to the church in your house. So this church, although this letter was written specifically to uh, Philemon about a matter that concerned him, it was to be shared with all of the brothers and sisters in Christ. In uh, verse 1, you know, where it says to Philemon, our, our beloved fellow worker, he says, you know, where it says, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That you there is actually in the plural. So Paul is speaking to all of the people. But when you get into verse 4, right the way through to uh, verse 21, the, the you then becomes singular, where Paul is addressing specifically Philemon in this. So it's a letter addressed to him, but with this wider scope to be read to all of the people of the church there. Now, I think, you know, that can strike us as a little bit surprising, can't it? And when we often write letters to people, we write them on a per from, a, from a personal point of view, particularly if there are personal matters involved, and we like to keep those private matters private. But Paul here is wanting everyone in the church to know what he is writing to Philemon about because it has implications not just for Philemon but for the whole body of Christ. Paul, one of Paul's key terms here in this letter is a term, a Greek term called ko koinonia. 
And uh, unfortunately, the ESV really doesn't bring it, bring it out as strongly as uh, the NIV does here. It's one of the, perhaps one of the, uh, the few weaknesses I've found in this particular translation. But the NIV actually reads verse 6. It says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, that word partnership is this word koinonia, your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. That word koinonia, we often has been translated as fellowship, you know, and, but, but the, the thing is, is that, that, that the word is just too weak. It's too weak a word. It actually needs to be translated as belonging. Uh, that's a more stronger word, and it grasps more of the, 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 the meaning of that Greek term, uh, belonging. Followers of Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying is that we belong to one another. We are united together in Christ. In fact, that's why Paul, you know, in other letters, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, he refers to the church as being a body. He says, we are interconnected. Everyone is needed. Everyone is useful. We all impact one another. In fact, our faith, Paul says, is, was intended by God to be nurtured. It was intended to be honed, strengthened, challenged, refined, all of these things through living in community with one another. There's no, there should be no such thing as an individual Christian, a person who seeks to live out their faith isolated from other believers in the faith. <coughs> Proverbs 27, 17 reminds us, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need those interactions. We need that community. We need that belonging together. We need to be living out our Christian faith within that community so that as we, we, we encounter all of the different struggles and all of the different issues of being a follower of Jesus, we can challenge one another and we can encourage each other and we can confront one another with using the word of God, that iron sharpening iron. So when it comes to matters about how we live out our faith, Paul is very much making clear here that we need to be careful what we indeed try to keep private. And I mean, in our, in our society today, in our culture today, there is this real emphasis on individualism, you know, on, 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 on being your own person. And, and that's all well and good, but for a Christian community, we can't just be our own people. We've got to, re, we've got to make sure that we, we think of everyone else within our christian community <coughs> paul is going to go on in this letter and he's going to address some really really key things about christian love in fact the central theme of this letter is christian love expressed through grace and forgiveness as we'll see in this letter we, philemon has been wronged by his slave anisimus who then runs away and it's during this time that anisimus actually providentially comes uh, encounters the Apostle Paul, who's a prisoner. Um, there's some conjecture as to where Paul might be a prisoner, but uh, I think the, um, the fairly significant conclusion would be that he's probably a prisoner in Rome at this stage. And Anisimus becomes a follower of Jesus and is a great help to Paul there in his chains. He's able to come and minister with Paul and encourage him and, and carry out you know, tasks and things for the, that the Apostle Paul can't do because of his imprisonment. But Paul knows that Onesimus must return to his owner Philemon for things to be put right. And so Paul sends him back to Philemon with this letter, asking not just for Philemon to forgive him and welcome him back as his slave, but instead to embrace him and welcome him back 
as a brother in Christ. Paul's ultimate intention, though, is, is more than just harmony to being restored between these two, these two men. What his desire is, is that each of these believers demonstrate evidence of true Christian discipleship so that Jesus is ultimately glorified. I'm going to work through this letter over the next three weeks and we can look at it in three main sections. The first section today we're going to look at is this, it's, it's all, or the whole letter basically is formed around this appeal that Paul makes to Philemon. And today we're going to look at the preparation that Paul uh, makes before his appeal. So his, his prayer for and praise of Philemon. We're going to see that in verses 4 to 7 this morning. Next week we're going to look at the actual appeal itself in verses 8 through to 16. And then finally, in our third week, uh, Doug uh, Ruthenberg is going to preach on the grounds or the reasoning for Paul's appeal, and we'll, and we'll see that in verses 17 to 21. So that's where we're heading over the next few weeks. But as you read through this letter, you can't help but get the impression that Paul has no doubt in his mind that the request that he's going to make of Philemon will actually be granted, that Philemon is actually going to respond positively and affirmatively to the request that Paul is going to make of him. Paul, Paul very much believes that Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus and extend to him this incredible grace. Verse 21 says, Paul writes, Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. There's this real assurance in Paul's mind that Philemon will actually respond well to his request. And that sort of begs the question, why was Paul so sure? Why was he so sure that Onesimus would respond this way? And it comes back to what Paul knew about Philemon, and we're going to discover that this morning in verses 4 to 7. This is going to form the, uh, the main body of what we're going to be discussing today. But Paul begins by saying that he gives thanks to God always when he remembers Philemon in his prayers. See, whenever Philemon came to Paul's mind... Paul was able to say, God, I want to thank you so much for this man. I want to thank you so much for the kind of person that Philemon is. I think Paul may have had some wonderful memories of, of Philemon from the time where you know, he was able to lead Philemon to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was able to give thanks to God for Philemon's salvation because that wasn't a work of Philemon in bringing about his own salvation. It was a work of the Holy Spirit of God working in that man's life, of opening up his mind and his heart to the truth of the gospel, for, 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 him, you know, for him being convicted of the Holy Spirit in his heart that he was indeed a sinner needing, say, needing salvation by God. And then responding in faith to the fact that Jesus was indeed the only way which he could be reconciled to God through faith in him. And Paul gave thanks to, uh, to God for him, for his salvation, but more so he's thanking God for the, for the person that Philemon was becoming in Christ. And as Paul there is there in, in the prison in, in Rome, you know, news continues to come to him of you know, the, 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 you know, the various believers out there in the, uh, you know, in the churches and Philemon, the news about Philemon continues to reach Paul's ears and it seems he was regularly hearing good things about him. Now, there are those people, aren't there, that we just come across in our lives through, uh, you know, through the, uh, the communities of faith, through church and that sort of thing where we just come across people who you just have to thank God for, aren't there? 
Have you ever come across people like that? People who you just, that you just got to thank God for them because they're such a great blessing in so many different ways. And you know what? It's fitting to thank God for them. Paul, you know, is a, is a model here in, in thanking God for people such as Philemon. And we ourselves need to thank God for those people who God has bring, brings into our lives and who blesses us through their love and through their faith and through, their, you know, through the way in which they just live out their lives for, for Jesus you know, so humbly and so wonderfully. We need to thank God for them. And we thank God because it is indeed a work of God's Spirit who makes them the people that they are. But Paul here is, is also, you know, not as he's just thanking God, but he's also saying to Philemon, Philemon, I'm actually praying for you and giving thanks to you. So he, Paul is actually communicating to Philemon, Philemon, I'm blessed to know you. <coughs> and he's encouraging and building up Philemon in his faith. And he's encouraging and inspiring Philemon to continue on in, that, in those footsteps of Jesus that he's, that he's walking in you know, there because he's, be, he's become such a blessing. And we need to encourage each other in our faith like that too. So if you've got people who have blessed your life in different ways, can I encourage you to, to in some way, whether it be through a letter, a note of encouragement, whether it be through an email, a text message, a face-to-face sort of conversation, tell them, say, I thank God for you because you are such a blessing to me. And I want to encourage you in the way in which you live your life for Christ. You know, it's so easy nowadays to look at the negatives and tear each other down and, and to look at, you know, look at one another and think, oh, look, you know, that, look at that person, look at what they're doing, and that sort of thing. One of the things we as a, as a family are, are, are trying to commit to this year is actually to, to be a lot more positive and look for the good things rather than the bad things in, you know, in this world you know, this year. And encourage the good things and uphold them and celebrate those good things in Christ. It's fitting to thank God for these people and it's fitting to thank them and help them to know that they are indeed a blessing. As we uh, go, you know, work through, we see that the reason why Philemon stands out in Paul's mind is it's laid out for us in verse 5. He says, I thank, give thanks to God for you, Philemon, because... I hear of your love for the saints and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that Christians should truly be known for, I think, are our faith in Christ and our love for others. Don't you think so? Our faith in Christ and our love for others. We'll look at these things individually just quickly this morning. Philemon was a man who had great faith in Jesus. In other words, Philemon was a, a true follower of Jesus Christ. His life exhibited this genuine love for and trust in Jesus. His life was oriented towards the, the glory of Jesus and his purposes. The desire of his heart was to do that which honoured Jesus, which lifted Jesus up, which pointed people to Jesus and where people were able to praise and glorify the name of Jesus. Paul was confident that Philemon had this, this great faith in Jesus Christ. And so because he knew that, that Philemon's faith was genuine and that was his heart, he, he could expect that Philemon would indeed follow Jesus' desires for his followers and that is to practice forgiveness. 
In writing the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That is Christ's intention for his followers and you know, his peop- the people who say that they, are, that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. This is Jesus' intention for them. And Paul knew because Philemon was a follower of Jesus, this was Jesus' intention for Philemon, and therefore Philemon would carry through in his forgiveness of Onesimus. Colossians 3, 12 to 13 says something similar where it says, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And that's a really key part of forgiveness. It's recognising the forgiveness that we've received first from Jesus Christ. That God has forgiven us far more than, than anything that we will ever be called upon to forgive others for. Jesus illustrated this in the parable of the unmerciful servant who himself was forgiven a great debt by the king, this huge monetary debt. You know, he, uh, he, was, he deserved to go to prison. He deserved to go back until he repaid this massive big debt that he owed the king. But the king showed mercy and forgave him. And then as soon as this man walks outside, he comes across a man who owes him just this tiny little amount. And he grabs the man by the throat and he says, you'll go into prison until you repay that money to me. And when we don't practice as, as Christ disciples, when we don't practice forgiving one another, we're just like that unmerciful servant. We've been forgiven this huge debt, yet we're, we're unwilling to forgive those who have caused us hurt and pain. <coughs> Philemon was very much aware of what Jesus had done for him in saving him. The fact that Jesus had died for his sins, securing his forgiveness of making him a treasured child of God and an heir to all of the blessings of God. And because he had this strong faith in Jesus Christ, he was full of passion for Jesus because of all that Jesus had done for him. And so I believe that Paul is able to see that Philemon truly understands the depth of the riches of the grace and forgiveness in his own life. And that will lead to him responding favourably to showing that same grace and forgiveness to Onesimus. But there's another reason, and in fact a more important reason, why Paul expects Philemon to exercise grace and forgiveness. And that's this, because Paul knew that Philemon's great faith was, was true, that it was a genuine faith, an authentic faith in Jesus Christ, then he has been given the capacity to forgive. He has a new nature, he's a new creation and the indwelling Holy Spirit gives him the ability to forgive Onesimus. Paul says the same thing about, about to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 to 7 where he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
For this reason, I remind you then to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The Holy Spirit is a, is a, you know, comes into our lives and brings with, brings with him a power and, 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 and a sense of spiritual power, of being able to say no to sin, of being able to resist temptation, of being able to walk in the footsteps that Jesus has called us to walk in. He's given us the spirit of power and of love, love towards God and love towards one another and a spirit of self-control. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, that, whole, that, that this Holy Spirit, he dwells in you. Paul can say in Galatians 5.16, But I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to be people who walk by the Spirit of God, who keep in step with the Spirit of God. So Paul was confident that Philemon, because of his faith in God, that it was a genuine, authentic faith and that he had the Holy Spirit very much indwelling him, that he was confident that the Philemon would indeed forgive Onesimus. But another reason Paul says is that I, you know, I'm thankful, Philemon, and, and I'm confident that you'll forgive Onesimus because there's this demonstrated love towards others in your life. I know that you're going to forgive because of this love that you have, particularly towards your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Writing about this particular love, John MacArthur states, this sort of love is what's called agape love, a self-sacrificial love. It's a love of choice. It is a love of the will. It is a love of self-sacrifice. It is a love of humility. It is the love that says, I care more about you than about myself. It's a love that says, I will make any sacrifice to help meet your needs. It's a love that says, it's not about emotion with me, but it's more about obedience with me. Obedience to Christ. And that I'm not compelled to serve you because there's something about you that's attractive, but I'm compelled to serve you because there's something about the power of God within me that moves me that way. Is that the kind of love that we as God's people are seeking to demonstrate and show to those around about us as we commence this new year? See, when a person is truly born again of the, by the Spirit of God, this kind of love is made possible for us. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Romans 5 and verse 5 says that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have received the love of God in order to be able to share the love of God, to exhibit it, to display it. And 1 John 4, 7 to 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If we are truly born again believers in Jesus Christ, then the love of God will show itself in our lives. But if we, if we do not see that kind of love 
And, you know, first, John, John the Apostle writes to us in First John, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we indeed followers of Jesus if that love is not evident? Paul also knows that those who do not love others, those who do not exhibit that love of God to others will not forgive others. But Paul could see that Philemon's love was authentic, Christ-like love, and so he could be doubly confident, doubly confident that Philemon would show forgiveness to Onesimus. See, Philemon's love for the saints very much demonstrated his commitment to this Christian fellowship, this Christian belonging, this koinonia. But Paul doesn't want Philemon to rest on his laurels. He wants Philemon to keep growing in his knowledge and experience of Christ's love through his obedience. That's why he says in verse 6, and again I, I use the NIV translation here, it says, I pray that your partnership with us, with all the believers in the faith, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying to Philemon, I want you to, to know that this, this koinonia, this belonging that we have to one another, as it's worked out in community, as we live together, as we, as we practice our faith together, as we work it out together, I pray that it will be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we have, that we share in for the sake of Christ Jesus. You know, as we seek to follow Jesus today, you know, we, we need to recognise that, you know, that, 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 that our obedience to Jesus, you know, is a real encouragement to one another and it helps all of us to continue to, to grow deeper and deeper in our knowledge and understanding of the gospel and of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. The more we obey Christ and submit to the work of His Spirit in our lives, the more we will understand the depths and riches of the grace of Christ and the more that we will grow to be a blessing to Him and to those around about us. Paul finishes this section where he's saying you know, to, to Philemon, he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a thing for someone to be able to say about another believer, that they have refreshed the hearts of the saints and that, 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 that someone can derive much joy and comfort from the love of that person. One of uh, the preachers that I quite enjoy listening to from time to time, Alistair Begg, he refers to that Josh Groban song, You Raise Me Up. Some of you might be familiar with the, with the words. It says, When I am down and oh my soul so weary, when troubles come and my heart burden be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I'm on your shoulders, you raise me up to more than I can be. And, Al and, and Philemon, you know, he's, Paul is saying to Philemon, Philemon, you raise people up. You raise people up. Shouldn't we want to be known as people, shouldn't we want to be 
people who have a reputation of being known as someone who raises others up by the power of God in our lives. So that not, not us getting the glory, but God getting the glory. Isn't that something to aspire to? To be a person who is, who is known as someone who raises others up, who refreshes others in the Lord Jesus. See, folks, we find in our passage this morning an example of what real Christian community should actually look like. In this, in this letter, we see people who are brought together from all walks of life, with all kinds of experience, with all kinds of personalities, but people who are all sinners saved by grace and made children of God by faith, who are brought together and, and, and in the messiness of life, and in the messiness of, of, of you know, trying to live out our faith and that sort of stuff, we seek to, to get alongside each other. We seek to encourage each other. We seek to walk that road with each other. And we seek to, to challenge and nurture and inspire each other in our walk with Jesus. And we seek to pray for one another, praying and giving thanks for what God is doing in people's lives, but also praying that God will do an even greater work in their life. That God will do a, a great work in your life, in you and through you, so that, that people can see that there is a, there is a power that, that is operating within you that is far beyond any human ability and any human resource and any human endeavour. It is a power that is a spiritual power, that power of the Holy Spirit, bringing praise and honour and glory to Jesus. Jesus has given us the ability, folks, to be this kind of people. He has given us the ability to be this kind of church. And as we move into this new year, we will need to depend on Jesus like we have never, ever depended on Jesus before. And we will need to seek after Jesus like we have never sought after him before. But I pray if we do, oh, if we... If we do that, if we seek to, to depend more and more on Jesus and seek after Jesus more and more, I can only begin to imagine the glorious things that we will see him do in our lives and in the life of his church. Let's make a commitment this morning to be people who seek to be used by Jesus depending upon him and in the power of his Holy Spirit, to be a person who raises people up. People who are known for their faith in Jesus Christ. Their strong, dependable, enduring, persevering faith in Jesus Christ, no matter the circumstances. And people who love others with a love that is so much more inspiring and so much more beautiful and so much more Lord Jesus we thank you this morning for this letter to Philemon it's a letter which we often don't really give a lot of attention to but there is just so much in here which challenges us about our walks with you and about our our community of faith 
uh, Lord, being a part of that community of faith. And Lord, as we move into this new year, as we begin you know, the journey, so to speak, of, a, of, a, of the year that is laid out before us. We thank you that you are the God who is already, you already know what's going to happen this year. There is nothing that is going to take you by surprise and we can trust in you implicitly, knowing that whatever might, might come our way, Lord, that you are with us in the midst of that, that you are upholding us and that it is part of your purposes for us to mould us and to shape us more into the image of Jesus Christ. But may we be people this year, Lord, who seek to depend upon you like we've never depended on you before. Lord, that to seek after you like we've never sought after you before. Lord, people of, of great, known for their great faith in Jesus Christ, but also a great love for, for the saints and for, for, for those around about us. Lord, do that work in us, please. Lord, help us to submit to you, to surrender to you in all of our life, that we might indeed become more and more these people. For we ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.